a good scripture. It's all God-breathed and inspired, isn't it? But there are those scriptures that you do well to memorise. And I think this one that I want to start with, if we, if we get it up, having a few issues, it's Romans 12. I'll read it out. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The promise of this verse is transformation. Transformation from the inside out. Transformation of the mind, which is more than just the brain or the intellect. It's the personality, a transformation from the inside out. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Life Together in Christ, says this, Spiritual transformation is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. It results in an increasing capacity to discern and do the will of God. As I've been thinking on it this week, this idea of transformation, whole body, whole mind, whole heart transformation, I get to thinking, man, I've got a long way to go. Only recently I was opening up to someone about an area of my life that I'm just not satisfied with. The degree of transformation is just not where I want it to be. And I think we can all relate to that. Areas, whole pockets of our life that are being worked over, but we, we desire this, this wholehearted transformation. And you know, all through scriptures, particularly in the letters of Paul, we read again and again that this is the goal. In Galatians 4 verse 19, Oh my children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Colossians 1 verse 28, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In Ephesians 4 verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You know, whole body, mind, soul transformation taking place here. That is the goal. And you know, to bring it into sort of real life, this word transformation or spiritual transformation comes from this word metamorphosis. It's a bit of a mouthful. But we get this word metamorphosis from the process that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. And the fact is, this process is a mystery. We don't fully know how this happens from this little bug going to this beautiful winged creature. It takes our breath away. You know, as we ref reflect on our transformation, 
I turn to the words again of Ruth Haley Barton. She says, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. Now this understanding that transformation happens and it's God that does it, but that we can provide, we can open up our lives to that transforming work. And you know, four ingredients are really required for wholehearted transformation. And it's teaching, it's practice, it's community, and of course, it's the Holy Spirit. He is the one that transforms us. But I want to pick out two of those ingredients that I think we've maybe underdone and under, underlooked in the church. The first one, I think, is practice. Practice. Now, you might be thinking, well, aren't I saved by grace? You know, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But you see, this is not the kind of practice I'm talking about. I'm not talking about practice that earns salvation. Because in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Is that word, working out your salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And later on it says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This idea of practice in this transformational process is not about earning salvation. Salvation is by grace alone. But the practice comes under the grace of God. As he partners with us, he wants us to go into training. We're no longer trying to earn his goodwill. We already have that. But now we are in training. You know, I wanted to Google, okay, who's a really good athlete? And I looked up, okay, who holds the record for the fastest marathon time? And this guy came up. He's broken the two-hour mark for the marathon. Good effort, good effort. You know, this guy wouldn't dream for a minute to wake up one morning and go, well, I want to break the, the world record today. I guess I'll just go out and try. No, he would have been in a grueling regime of training. And this, this idea of training really is picked up in the, in the scriptures. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will last, that will, that will not last, but we will do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone 
running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And this is where we pick up this idea of practices. And across the church tradition, these have been known as spiritual disciplines. One definition of spiritual disciplines, activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort because we meet with the actions of God or the grace of God with us. Another definition, spiritual disciplines are concrete activities we can engage in for the purpose of making ourselves available to God for the work only God can do. See, these practices, these disciplines of the spiritual life are really just creating space. Whether it's prayer, and we see this in the life of Jesus, the practices of Jesus, prayer or solitude, fasting or meditation, celebration, Sabbath, service, simplicity. There's more and more. That's just a sampling. These are things that we can do by our direct effort so that God can do what only he can do, which is the work of transformation. And really, what we're talking about as we talk about practices and transformation is we're talking about discipleship. This word discipleship comes from disciple, and disciple means learner of Jesus. And these practices, in these practices, we're doing what Jesus did. We're copying, just like his disciples would have done, copying every detail of his life with the goal to become like Jesus and to do what he did. And sometimes this has got lost on me, but when we come up to a passage like when the, when the disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray, they're not just saying, give us another lecture about prayer. They're saying, no, God, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he gives them a very distinct model of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We know the rest. And I think it's this how-to that we've lost a little bit in the church, at least in my reflections on it. Because, you know, every good teacher out there would know that there are three ways we need to learn fully. Firstly, you have the classroom, the lecture, and this is what we get on a Sunday. You're all in rows and you're all listening to me. Sorry about that. Um, That's the lecture style. But then we have the apprenticeship. You know, and to really put it in as concrete a words as I can, would you trust a mechanic that never worked on a car but had read lots about fixing up cars? Would you trust a doctor that had gone to med school but never got his hands dirty doing the work? And yet in church life, it seems, we often trust lecturers but not practitioners of the faith. And lastly, immersion. Immersion. This is when we just dive into the deep end. And we can only learn so much with teaching in a classroom style and with apprenticeship. Eventually we've got to dive in. Eventually you start that job and you still don't really have much of a clue, but you you enter in or you go on that mission trip and you enter in, you, you dive into the culture. 
suddenly you're surrounded by a language you don't know much and you have to learn on the job. And you know, most scholars say that Jesus spent about half of his three years of ministry just with those 12 men. Immersion. One and a half years immersing them in the practice of his life, of the God life. And so, really, it's about this difference between learning about, which is information, and we get that a lot on a Sunday morning, but then learning how to. Where do we get that? See, I want to skip ahead a few slides, sorry, Karen, but to our mission, which is to be a transforming community committed to Jesus Christ. How are we going to fulfill that mission if most of the time we're just doing the first learning style, the classroom, and maybe a little bit of the second, which is apprenticeship? Well, I would argue that that's where we need to dip into the second ingredient of spiritual transformation, and that is community. For if practice and teaching are the content, then community is the context. See, if we're to be a transforming community committed to Jesus Christ, then I believe we need transforming communities in the small committed to Jesus Christ. And that is our our small groups. That is those other spaces that we gather together in the small because we can't get it in rows. We have, to, we have to go smaller in order to thrash out what it looks like to actually practice these things that we're learning on a Sunday morning. In Acts 2 we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. For every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the fellowship, the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I wanted to highlight the bit that they did in homes. They broke bread together daily. They were coming together around the table to talk it out, to thrash it out. And you know... Over the last month or so, I've, I've been getting around some of our small group leaders, which is really where this is happening, in our church, in our community. They're coming around tables. They're coming around study. They're coming around to talk about, actually, what does that Sunday morning sermon or what does some of the sort of theology that we're talking about in church, how does that actually meet the road in my life? How do I actually outwork that? And not only that, they're praying together. They're encouraging one another. You see, these are really communities that are bringing teaching and practice together so that transformation can take place. Now a couple of pictures. Because I think it's easy to try and talk about this, but what could this look like in practice? One person wondered whether we need to sort of reconceive this, this whole thing of what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, if you were a martial artist, you would go to a dojo, they call them, and this is a space where you 
you learn the practice. You learn how to become like the master in every way. You know, our small groups, those small communities that meet midweek, have the potential. They're already doing it, I'm sure, but they have the potential to be these spaces where we actually learn the way of Jesus together, where we actually put these good ideas into practice. Or like the work space, apprenticeship, coming together and actually talking about how does this, you know, Jesus said love our enemies. How do we do that? What does that look like? Because, you know, don't know about you guys, but we've had some pretty hard-to-deal-with neighbours at times. And not just the ones next door. Like, how do we love our enemies, those that come against us? And I think we have to come back to the small. In all of this, we can't keep it in here. For some things are better done in circles than in rows. Some things are done better in circles than rows. And maybe we need to take some of the the good stuff that we're learning here to the circle. Um, And you know these circles, as I've had these chats with some of our leaders, they've got lots of colour, they've got lots of texture, there's different flavours to them. Some of them have been meeting for 15 years, others have been meeting for 5 years, others have just started up. But what they're all doing is they're taking the good stuff that we, we learn in the rows and they're beginning to do life together and talk about what that actually looks like in practice. Now, all sorts of groups form around lots of different things. Some groups form around common interests, around common passions, around common callings, vocations. Some groups just come together because you think alike. You know, the click factor happens. Now we've had friends like that over the years that just like, man, I like you because you're like me. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm also not talking about groups that come around similar age or stage. What I'm talking about is groups that come around Jesus. Jesus at the centre. I'm talking about groups that come around practising the way of Jesus together in community. Now, if you're wondering, well, can I do this well on my own? You know, I can bring all those ingredients together and I can still come to a Sunday morning and get everything I need. Well, I would simply say groups bring accountability. You know, you might be practicing all these things that Jesus did. You might be getting the prayer and the the Bible reading and the, the fasting all down. But is there accountability? You know, something about that weekly or fortnightly gathering together in a home or a church, doesn't matter where it is, but where you come back and you say, how are you going? You know, last week you said that you really wanted to start every day well and to, to maybe pick up the Bible before you picked up the phone and got worried about the news, real. How, how did you go with that? Or, as we've just heard this morning, things happen in our lives that are huge and a huge loss and grief 
people die people get hurt and if you're trying to walk that out on your own man that's just a tough gig time and again so if I was to bring all of these thoughts and ideas together this morning for what it could look like for us as a community what it could look like for our small groups or whatever we want to call them in the future it's this that we would be sharing life together in the way of Jesus that is Christians as fellow brothers and sisters whether that's a a men's group, a women's group, a mixed group whether that's young mums intergenerational whatever the colour or the shape of it is that we would be sharing life together in the way of Jesus see the first followers of Jesus were called followers of the way they weren't just living out a set of beliefs they were living a set of practices it was a lifestyle that first piece sharing life together that's all the eating and the drinking together and the celebrating and the caring for one another and in the way of Jesus that's where we dive into those practices where we learn together and pray together and serve together our community you know I know one group that regularly come together in this church to do different things they chop wood and they sell it for missions they, they serve with some of the disabled in our community for others they come into the kitchen midweek and they help out with community meal but it's this thing of serving together being Jesus in flesh and blood together sharing life together in the way of Jesus and as we do this all the differences can come together because it's no longer a group meeting around a common culture necessarily or a common interest or a common agenda but it's, it's meeting together around Christ breaking bread and acknowledging that he is the bread of life see ultimately we want every person connected supported serving and growing in Christ and, and if you don't feel in that place this morning then, then we want to do all we can to see that happen to see you connected and supported serving you know bringing your gifts to the table because we need each and every gift here often churches end up where 20% are doing 80% of the work we, we don't want to be a church like that like we do not want to be a church like that and so a scripture that really sums it all up we want to be as Ephesians 4 verse 15 and 16 say speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work connection is about support and support is about growth and then growth works its way out in service and so whatever the group that you might 
become a part of or already a part of looks like. What I hope and I pray is that we would be indeed a transforming community of transforming communities. That as we're being transformed, we go out into the world and we transform others. And so really practically, in the next few weeks, we're going to just really like uh, lift the focus of our small groups. You might start to see some more things in the foyer, perhaps a board just, just really sort of displaying um, the groups that are around, groups where actually this is happening. We're also hoping that, that new groups could form. You know, Some of you, I know, have, have leadership on your life or on your heart. And you know, we found just before coming here, moving here, getting called here, um, all it took was we just opened our home every week for about a year to just a group of young people. We put on dinner and then week by week everyone just shared their life story, their testimony. And it was powerful. And we look back on that time and go, all we did was opened our door, put on a meal, and then God took care of the rest. And I know there's others of you that really have that gift of hospitality. So, in the weeks and the months to follow, our prayer is that we would become a community, transforming, both in the small and in the large. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much that you are the God of growth, that you are the God of transformation. And we just are in awe that the end goal that you have for us is to be like Jesus, to be like Christ, both in our character and in our behavior and how we live. And God, that is just an amazing thing. I just pray that you give us the wisdom to show us how this works out, how this plays out in our in our smaller contexts, in those groups where we can actually dive into not only talking about what this looks like, but committing to one another, to living it out, to practicing the way of Jesus, to sharing life together in the way of Jesus Christ. We just pray that you would guide us on this journey again. In your name. Amen.